Chelsea Fairless. And welcome back to another episode of Every Outfit. Chelsea, I must ask, were you able to get us Taylor Swift tickets? <laughs> Fuck off. Ugh, it's so upsetting. So what happened? The pre-sale just like exploded and now they've shut down the general sales? Okay, this is my experience. I knew that the pre-sale was happening. I forgot to register for the pre-sale until like three days before the pre-sale and it was already too late. You could no longer register. So I was like, okay, I'll just have to buy them on Friday. Like whatever. Basically, Ticketmaster did this pre-sale. You it was mean really- Ticket Bastard. Yeah, they did this pre-sale. It was really chaotic. A lot of people didn't end up get- getting tickets, but they basically like sold out the show in the pre-sale. I thought there was a finite number of pre-sale tickets, but it's like there's not really tickets left. Well, I thought the pre-sale experience was also supposed to gatekeep bots and ticket resellers, and it seems like there were only resellers and bots in the pre-sale. Yeah, it's fucked. And now Ticketmaster is like, well, we're not going to put these tickets on sale to the general public because A, like our site is going to crash, like it's not happening. And B, like we don't even have that many tickets available at this point, which is crazy because Taylor Swift has five stadium shows in Los Angeles. Like, and she's performing at that stadium so in five. Englewood. Yeah. yeah, which is where I saw Drake and Kanye last year. And the idea that she sold that out five times is insane. No, it was all ticket resellers who were using bots who bought all the tickets. I saw those tweets where tickets, like shitty tickets, were $35,000. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to buy tickets from resellers. Do you care enough? Like, do you want to come or... Because, like, I'll obviously end up paying, like, some freakish amount of money. But I don't know if you care that much. Well, the company will be paying a freakish amount of money because we'll be covering this on the podcast. Yeah. I went to the Reputation Tour with you. As long as we're not, like, this... uh, Sydney Wallace, who's gone viral because she waited, she not only waited eight hours in line for Taylor Swift tickets, I assume she means virtually, but uh, SeatGeek charged her 14 times for tickets that she was ultimately never able to purchase. So now her bank account is frozen, she's broke, and it's overdrafted her accounts, and she did not get tickets. I hope that this has come to Taylor Swift's attention. I think they're recalibrating. If I had to guess... This is not where the the ticket experience for Taylor Swift ends. I think they need to recalibrate and they'll be back with something. I hope so. In other news, it's been a big week for Los Angeles because we have a new mayor. Thankfully, not Rick Caruso. Rick Caruso, who lit $100 million of his own money on fire. And I feel like he spent it all on me just because the amount of like ads I saw during Hulu shows... Like, when you watch The View every day on Hulu, it's like nothing but Rick Caruso ads. It's very satisfying to go to Rick Caruso's Instagram and look at all the verified accounts leaving comments on his concession letter. Wild. And in other news, not only do we have a new mayor, we have a new Loewe store on Rodeo Drive. We gotta go, baby. Yeah. That's what we're doing. We're going to hit up the new Lueve store with the Justin Bieber bust. And then we're going over to the skin pop-up at the Century City Mall. But yeah, the Lord giveth. 
so what happened this week? I know we made a big point last week where we were like, oh, this format works perfectly. We're only going to pick four topics and then we're just going to talk about that. And this week it was like, fuck, there's like 17 things to talk about that we only have like a little bit to say. Yeah. So we'll go through it rapid fire style. So Balenciaga left Twitter. It's been fascinating to watch Elon Musk try to bring an owning the libs philosophy to running a business. And it turns out it doesn't work. I don't know what Balenciaga's Twitter presence was like. It's a performative move, but they're at least the first ones or at least the first fashion brand to do it. So they got some press out of it. Yeah, it's smart. They were late to cut ties with Kanye. So I guess they're like, we're not doing that again. (laughs) But I think the most interesting thing Balenciaga did this week was the launch of their objects collection, which is basically an assortment of home goods. Just in time for the holidays. So I'm wondering, are we talking about this because you want me to know what to get you for Christmas? This shit is so expensive. Like, I get that Balenciaga is an expensive brand to begin with. They sell expensive clothes. And like, obviously, no one should expect that anything should be cheap. But like $300 for a roll of packing tape, like that's just fucked up. Well, but that is branded packing tape. I do love that. So? I do love that someone DM'd us. It was like, all right, which one of you is getting the dog leash? Which is $450. See, full disclosure, Lauren and I are both like sick fucks. Like we are the people that buy Prada dog collars. Like your dog has the Prada collar. My dog has the Gucci collar. Like we're not above this. But this price point makes me like terrified. Like the fact that a nylon dog harness is like almost $900 is crazy. Well, what I'm wondering as a a candle influencer that you are, (laughs) will you be getting the $550 Balenciaga candle? See, I don't even like it. That's a gift. That's a gift from God. Like <laughs> the 800 something dollar dog bowl, that I actually want. That the I'm one, gonna, the one with the spikes. That I'm going to lose sleep over. I'm also going to lose sleep over the candle holders that look like beer cans. That, yeah, that would be on my list. But the thing about the candle holders that look like beer cans is that they're $650 each. And you'd have to have two of them. Like you couldn't have one. So here's the other fucked up thing about just the interface of how this gift shop looks is they will put a bunch of objects together. Like they will put all the beer can candle holders and you're like, okay, $590 or $650, whatever. For all four of them. Yeah. Yeah, That's not, that's crazy, but like it's still, that's reasonable. Yeah. I would say the most egregious thing that is in this object shop are the ornaments, which they show you three or four together, which are $590. And you're like, okay, crazy, but. Absolutely crazy, but sure. No, it's 590 For one. An ornament. I know. The craziest one is the ornament that is, because the ornaments are all of iconic Balenciaga pieces. So it's like the red puffer jacket. But there's one of the pink baseball hat that says Balenciaga on the brim, the ornament is $590, whereas the actual hat is $425. And I wonder if this annoys you as well. I understand that someone by hand had to write Balenciaga, but it's not in the Balenciaga font. What do you mean? It's just like a hand-painted Balenciaga, but it doesn't match the font that would be on the 
look, they're hand painted glass blown ornaments. That's like a normal thing. Like they're not like you can buy a beautiful one right. for like twenty dollars, thirty dollars. Of course, you know? like it's just like but that's f- normal. But for five hundred ninety dollars, I want an almost not an almost. I want a photo realistic <laughs> ornament of that fucking hat. Yeah, it's crazy because. Obviously, they're not the only luxury brand that has, that sells objects, that sells trinkets, but it's like, for example, they're selling a lunchbox for $790. Prada sells a very similar lunchbox that is only $140. I don't think that everything in this collection is difficult or expensive to manufacture. No, it's you're buying the label, which is a big portion of Demna's design philosophy, but it's getting a little crazy. There just needs to be something in here that's kind of accessible. It's like, okay, sure, like the dog bowl is $900, but like the tape is like $50. And it's like, you could just buy that for Tat as like a Christmas present or something, you know? Instead of me having to like Klarna myself to death to purchase this stuff. Yeah, I feel like you should get the dog bed though. Okay, the dog bed is $1,400, Chelsea. (laughs) It's really cute though. Also, I am so dumb. The way that it's photographed, it's two separate pieces, but the product photography, I thought it was some sculptural dog bed, but it's like, no, it's just the little heart-shaped dog bed and the pad Um, on top of each other but I thought that was like one piece of a dog bed yeah it is a little confusing but I think that that was really cute there's a lot of cute stuff it's just so expensive so I would say yeah see what Prada has going on see what Gucci has going on all in drastically different price points and speaking of the architect of our pain because Tom Ford, when he was at Gucci, <laughs> bought Balenciaga. Um, Tom Ford's now a billionaire. Because on Tuesday, Tom Ford sold his eponymous label to Estee Lauder for $2.8 billion. This has been a rumor since July of this year when Ford hired Goldman Sachs to explore a sale of his company. Okay, but Estee Lauder isn't buying Tom Ford so they can make more leather pants for Chris Jenner. <laughs> They're buying it because of the beauty... And the fragrance, right? Which they have a deep relationship with because I'm a Tom Ford head. When he left Gucci Group, the first thing that he did was do a collaboration with Estee Lauder to create a line of fragrances. And then he created his own under their brand. So it makes sense that they're being bought. I don't know if you read the full article. I definitely didn't. Okay, the most fascinating part, you are correct. They won't be handling the clothing part of the Tom Ford brand. They are outsourcing that to Xenia, which has already had the license for Tom Ford menswear since 2006. Hmm. I love that Tom Ford basically licensed out, he's licensed out the fragrance and beauty stuff, which Estee Lauder already had a hand in. He outsourced the menswear stuff. He outsourced the eyewear shit and then got Estee Lauder to pay $2.8 billion for it. It's so fucking crazy. It's so crazy that Halston laid the foundation for Tom Ford and Michael Kors in terms of like the clothes that they make and in terms of just like, The business model. Well, also like being a celebrity designer, right? Oh, that. Like they want want to be that. But Halston always struggled with the business side of things, whereas Michael Kors and Tom Ford are now fucking billionaires. 
Well, also, the reason that Halston's business collapsed was that he licensed himself into non-existence, and somehow Tom Ford was able to rebrand that in a much more chic and successful way. It actually worked for him. Do you have any Tom Ford makeup, though? I have the eyeshadow palette. I've heard the primer's incredible and the foundation is incredible, but it's just really expensive. The only thing I have, like, Tat gave me that clear lipstick that changes color. Like, that when one's you, very When fun. you put it on, and I was like, oh, you saw this on TikTok, you bought it, and you didn't like it, and now you're giving it to me. <laughs> so? Yeah, it's fine. I get it. It's too pink for her. Like, it doesn't, it would look like too much actual makeup. Well, here's hoping the prices come down. Yeah. I mean, really, I think Tom Ford wanted to do this sale and become a billionaire just so that he could open a one-man studio, which I'm here for. I want more Tom Ford movies. Yeah. That's actually, like, the only thing I really want from him right now. Well, you want Kris Jenner to keep looking great. (laughs) That's true. So there's a bit of disturbing news in the doc. Um, The Met has collaborated with PacSun. I will say the lead image that you originally sent me for this collab is fucked, but I did look at the stuff they are offering, and I will say the socks made up of fine artwork is pretty cute. (laughs) Okay, but the Met has like a multi-billion dollar endowment. Like they don't need to do this sad shit. And I was like, oh, is it that they have some exhibit, like some design show about like surf culture or something? It's like, no, they just did this for no reason. And of course, like it's trying way too hard to look like streetwear, which is, you know, sad. But it's also kind of aping that like um, 90s Gautier thing where it's like we're making a mesh crop top with like a Botticelli painting on it or something. Yeah. Again, the only things that I like are like the Van Gogh or Oleander crew socks. Like somehow fine artwork <laughs> as crew socks is something I didn't know I needed in life. OK, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. It's $14. It's, it's much better than the Balenciaga gift shop, for sure. Also, the Terry Mugler exhibition opened at the Brooklyn Museum this week. They always have really great fashion exhibitions. So if you live in New York, go see that show. It's up until May. I think we need to get on the plane in yeah. the dead of winter and go to New York to see this. Which side- We have time. It's fine. Side note, LA museums really need to step up their fucking game and bring exhibitions like this to Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the last really great, like, major fashion exhibition here. The Hollywood costume one, I guess. But that traveled from somewhere else. Uh, That is a good question. But yeah, there was a costume exhibit that LACMA hosted that was incredible. That That was one of the best fashion exhibits I've ever seen. But you were saying you went back to the Academy Museum and they had switched out everything. So there's a rotation of costumes and... Academy Award winning Yes, FYI, for those of you who live in Los Angeles, the Academy Museum does rotate the stuff in the museum much more than I thought they would. Like, basically half of the museum was unrecognizable to me, which was cool. And we first went in March, I think? Yeah, so it's like when we went in March, they had like Cher's Bob Mackie Oscar outfit on display. But this time I went, it was like Halle Berry's Oscar dress. So it's like they're rotating things out or it's like, What was the Spike Lee room is now the Agnes Varda room. It's cool. So yeah, see that if you care. But back to the Terry Mugler show, Kylie Jenner looked really good at the opening. Her and Mugler is a great combo. It really is. She's really smart to align herself with them. Um, And and she she wore one new look and then one archival look. 
I think they were both archival. And yeah, I think they were like recreations of archive pieces. I don't think they were literally vintage. Yeah, I don't think they could. I think they have to recreate those for the the unique Kardashian body type, let's say. <laughs> but I think her recent looks have been really fantastic, actually. She's taking risks. She's wearing cool young designers and there's an unpredictable quality to how she's dressing which we haven't really been getting from Kim who as fabulous as she is it is start starting to feel a little predictable right yeah and unlike someone like Kendall who in her off-duty wear has really started to wear a lot of the row in a similar way that Zoe Kravitz has and there's a sort of subversive quality to that that is great. The repetition of the Balenciaga and the Rick Owens on Kim is is getting tiresome I think we can all say. I'm still into it but Kylie is feeling like a breath of fresh air. Because she's willing to take risks. Yeah. Again they don't all work but. You know who else looked amazing this week? Our girl, Isabelle Huppert, who's been at the Marrakesh Film Festival, and she's worn a couple of different Dior gowns, but one of them was so incredible. You know the way I'm talking about, right? I do, but we are going to have to swallow our previous words because it was designed by (laughs) Maria Grazia, what's her name, who we do not like a Dior, and yet somehow on Isabelle Huppert, we love it. Yeah, well, Isabelle Huppert also was, like, the only person that looked cool in that, like, whole, like, leather beret nautical look that they had a few years ago. Like, she wore that to the Met. But I think this is the best Dior moment she's had. And, like, she was wearing basically, like, a black long sleeve, very conservative gown with, like, a big ruffled collar and an attached hood. And it was very much giving that Catholic imagination Met show, you know? Yeah, and, and it, it reminded me of that movie where she's a fuck, what was it called? She's a lesbian nun. I think it's just called The Nun. Anyway, I fuck with it. Yeah, and I think what's so special about this since the fashion cycle has become so sped up, the idea of people either wear stuff that came right off the runway or they're wearing archival stuff. This is just from five years ago. It's from the spring-summer 2017 couture collection. And I hope that more people do this. Same. Although what I always want to know about her as a fellow petite person is they are custom-making all of this for her five-foot-three frame. Well, they can just hem that gown, you know? She's as skinny as the models, so she can fit into all of the samples. That's true. I particularly think think about that when she was wearing the Balenciaga dress with the um the pants that are also the boots it's like they had to make that for five foot three her yeah cute oh my god did wait did we just do our look of the week we used to do that on the podcast (laughs) I know we're bringing it back I'm are we giving it to Kylie though or are we giving it to Isabel we should give it to Kylie because everyone knows like uh, the look of the week was Isabel Huppert just because that's how we feel so maybe to change it up yeah It's Kylie, but it's Isabel, you know. Also, Margot Robbie looked amazing in Alaya on the cover of Vanity Fair this week. It has like a cutout midsection, so you can see 
like the toned stomach, also part of her rib cage. And it's like, okay, people think that heroin chic is bad. Like this is like real thin inspiration shit, you know? Oh, is it bad that I gave that to my trainer? And I was like, this is what we're going for. <laughs> See, I'm more of the like, raise your hand if you've ever been personally victimized by Margot Robbie's rib cage school of thought. Well, more the online discourse was like, oh, this is what she could look like if she wasn't styled by Kate Young. And it's not exactly a Kate Young problem. It's a blood oath to Chanel problem. Yeah, Kate Young's an incredible stylist. But like, if she has to wear X amount of Chanel, like, what can you do? If I was Margot Robbie, I would only be wearing Alaya. Oh, same. Like, what else would you wear? And also, Kate Young might be an amazing stylist for one particular person, but it really is stylist plus actress plus clothing choices. And you really see that on someone like a Taylor Russell who's in Bones and All, who just Wait, has... is Kate Young styling her? No, I don't okay. actually know who Taylor Russell's stylist is, but like, she has just exploded on the scene because of exquisite red carpet choices. Well, you also have to take this into consideration because every year there's an anointed it girl and it's usually someone that could be a model that is in a film that could win an Oscar and every luxury brand will loan to that person. Right. And she is that person right now and she's wearing incredible shit but it's also like okay well she has access to the most incredible stuff that's being made right now and everyone will loan to her which is like is not the case. I'm not saying that's not the case with Margot Robbie. Everyone will loan to her too but But there's also something that Margot Robbie is gorgeous. She's an incredible actress. She's a really good producer. She can't have it all. <laughs> Any actress just can't have it all. And she has... She really does, though. Just, she really has it all. Yeah, so she just has okay style. And that's what balances everything out. Yeah. But also that Vanity Fair cover did show us what she could look like. I don't know. I remember I saw her at that. Wait, were you at that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood panel at the wing like three years ago? No, you told me about this, though. That was so crazy. It was wild. I can't even get into it. But she looked incredible. Until her night was ruined by <laughs> by a question from the audience. Yeah, someone someone in there's a Q&A part. And it was like all of the women that worked on this film, producer, costume designer, Ariane Phillips, like yeah. absolutely incredible. And someone was basically like, Quentin Tarantino's a predator. Like, how dare you come in here? That sort of thing. And it just derailed the evening, in a sense. But throughout it all, Margot Robbie looked incredible. She did. She looked amazing. So props to Kate Young. She can't do anything about this Chanel situation. It is what it is. Also, I feel like the Chanel situation might actually start working to her advantage once they're doing the Barbie movie looks. Ooh. Because then she can just get all those pink little skirt suits and all that shit, and that's going to be perfect. Ooh, and that'll coincide with Carl's Met Gala. If Margot Robbie isn't Chanel Barbie at the Carl Lagerfeld Met Gala, I mean, I will do nothing, but I'll be upset. You guys know that. Shall we get into all of the movies we saw this week? I know this really is a testament to how much you must have missed your wife because you agreed to come with me to see Black Panther Wakanda forever this weekend. Look, you guys know me. I'm not a Marvel girl. I like some Batman movies, but the only comic book shit I really care about is Ghost World. That said, I did enjoy 
Black Panther. So I was excited to see Wakanda forever. Yes, I did not drag you there kicking and screaming. No. But I will say, I would consider myself a former Marvel stan because I have not seen a Marvel release since Avengers Endgame in 2019 because I feel like my time is done. I did my decade. I don't want to get back on the train and learn about the fucking multiverse. I can't, Chelsea. Well, I really don't want to learn about that shit, so great. We potentially will get into spoilers, so the if you don't if you plan on seeing this film with your family over Thanksgiving or something, um the timestamp will be in the show notes. Right. We're talking about three movies. Mama can't jump in <laughs> with three separate timestamps for this episode. I'm sorry. Thoughts? Didn't really care about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so like I'm just being honest. There are aspects of it I appreciate. Yeah. Like I love Ruth Carter's costumes. I love Angela Bassett. And I love the fact that both Black Panther movies are very overtly anti-colonialist in a way that's cool for a superhero movie. Also, I appreciate the historic nature of the fact that the leads in this movie are all black women, basically. There's not even that many men in Wakanda Forever. Right. Well, I mean, there are, but they're like half fish, half like who can say, you know, Winston Duke is back. Yeah. I mean, it has the classic Marvel film problem where the villain's plan is justified. The hero. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) completely. (laughs) Fuck Wakanda. (laughs) The hero risks the entire world's population because they don't want to kill one person. Yeah, just kill that scientist. Who gives a shit? She's not even Wakandan. I don't understand this. <laughs> because she's going to be the new Iron Man. She's Ironheart. That's what that fucking suit was about at the end of the film. Oh, really? Yes. And lastly, a bloated cast because we need to set up other franchises, which is why Julia Louis-Dreyfus is there. Right. With her sassy little purple hair streak. Yeah, I mean, we do need to discuss how superhero films have become an unlikely outlet for actresses of a certain age to stay booked and busy and be able to act with a capital A. Right. Like, before this film, we saw a trailer for... Oh, that one with Helen Mirren? It's Shazam, and Helen Mirren plays the villain, and she is mm, she is making a meal out of that role. Yeah. And so, in that respect, we love it. Yeah, obviously, who doesn't want to see Angela Bassett and Julia Louis-Dreyfus in a movie? Should we get into the big spoiler? I should say, okay, one, the film is incredibly emotional. I definitely teared up in the beginning in how they dealt with the death of Chadwick Boseman and folded that into the plot. Yes, it's very depressing. This movie is not fun, it's sad. Yes, and big spoiler, skip ahead 30 seconds. I thought that was going to be the only death because really, (laughs) how do you need to top this death of the real life actor lead of this film but evidently you do because they kill Angela Bassett as well I was like okay so you know I'm only sitting here because of Angela Bassett and the clothes that she's wearing and now you're telling me I don't even I don't even have that also because Shuri who has seen her father be assassinated her brother die and she was unable to stop it and then her mother murdered right in front of you it's like she would have happily killed Namor without her mother being murdered is namor the main fish guy uh yes well he's a fish person but he also has wings on his ankles and not because he's wearing those jeremy scott sneakers (laughs) nicely done 
A thing about Namor, if you've seen the film, like if a handsome man showed me his underwater palace and gave me a bracelet from his dead mother and asked me to burn the world down together, I'm going. No questions <laughs> asked. Like, finally, a partner in crime? Say less. But I don't understand. Okay, they needed to do another logic pass on the motivations in this movie because, okay, so spoiler alert, Wakanda, they think they're the only people that have, what, vibranium? No, vibranium. They, they are the only people to have vibranium. They oh, are, right. but they find out that they're not because these fish people also have it. And they live at the bottom of the ocean, and no one ever sees them. And they all look like the genie from Aladdin with a dental dam fused to their face. Which they need to breathe on the earthbound world. But yes, their their history is tied to the destruction of the Aztec and Mayan culture. That they, even though they were cursed with smallpox, which I may sound like a complete Karen, so I'm prepared for the one-star reviews, but this is the one issue I've been having recently with Marvel films, which is these are ostensibly children's films. And I agree with you, I love the anti-colonialist, hey, colonizer motif of these movies but i think it's very weird to attribute a really tragic thing that happened in history which is the colonization of mayan and aztec cultures they were given smallpox you see them literally have smallpox but this small population took a magical route that gave them fish powers and they went underwater (laughs) If you're a child watching that and you talk to your parent, it's like, well, did that really happen? You have to explain to a kid, well, one part of that did. And they're like, but some of them escaped and they're living underwater. And you have to be like, no, they did. I hear you. The Marvel film that annoyed me the most that did this that I explained to you is in Black Widow. They use the imagery of child sex slavery. Right. Yeah, you told me that. Which is like putting a bunch of little girls in a shipping container and then like filming them and being like, no, 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 no. They all became little ballet assassins. I'm someone that watched Tim Burns' Batman as a three-year-old. And yes, So that's why you're so fucked up. Yes, of course. (laughs) And that is dark as fuck. But I'm trying to imagine having a young child being like, well, mommy, that'll never happen to me, right? And it's like, well, you could be kidnapped and put in a shipping container, but not to be a little ballet assassin. God, so fucked up. Totally unrelated, but I feel like way too much of this film was set in that random CGI lab. And like, it feels like whenever this movie like paints itself into a corner plot wise, they're like, oh, we're just going to have some like technological breakthrough in the lab and like that will fix everything. Yes. Chelsea is referring to Shuri's lab. Yeah, and she's doing, like, all this, like, Tom Cruise and Minority Report type shit. Which, as an actor, must be so fun. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Just moving your hands around. I love it. But we should talk about, like, a good aspect of this movie, which is the costume design. (laughs) Which is great. It's cool. She's drawing out a lot of different references, obviously. African fashion, futurism. But I love these sort of nods to high fashion within it. Like, when she goes to Haiti to visit Lupita Nyong'o. Yes. She's in, like, basically, like, some crazy bootleg Izzy Miyake outfit. Like, there's all these cool metal dresses that are very, like, Pierre Cardin-esque. Like, it's cool. And apparently, Iris Van Herpen made some of the costumes. Well, that's which exciting. is a very like logical pairing and yeah cool. we should also say the women diana guerrera michaela cole uh letitia wright all kicking ass always fun to see it is two hours and 40 minutes yeah can we please make a two-hour film i beg of you 
Yeah, and kind of like nothing happens in the middle of it. Because there's also like a weird marital discord as if Woody Allen wrote a Marvel film with Martin Freeman and Julie Louis-Dreyfus who we learn are exes. Right. Which is just to set up a film called The Thunderbolts. Why do I still know this stuff? Yeah, I'm trying not to be Look, I get it. I get it. I get it. Like you can't, you know, you can't cut yourself off altogether. You're still reading all of those deadline articles compulsively, you know? It's like, just like a reflex. I quit smoking, but I'm still chewing (laughs) nicotine gum. Look, if you're going home for the holidays and you need to kill a good three, three and a half hours, if you're seeing it at an AMC. Yeah. This is a perfect movie to see. Yeah. Although uh, for me, it was like, I really did not need to see the trailers before this. That I felt like, you know, the scene in the clockwork orange or whatever (laughs) with the like eyes being like pride open my favorite moment was the last trailer has paul rudd walking down the street and we've just gotten like six cgi ocular gangbangs and so chelsea just sees paul rudd walking down the street she goes i like this movie and then she realizes it's ant-man and she was like oh fuck this no i don't like this (laughs) i thought i was getting like one normal trailer but i wasn't also i've just like ingested so much fucking nerd shit this week because i also went to the magic castle for the first time wait you didn't tell me this (laughs) what I know. For those of you who don't live in Los Angeles, the Magic Castle is a members-only club, and you have to be a magician to be a member, and you have to be invited by a magician to go. Yeah, which means, yeah, you have to know someone who is affiliated with the Magic Castle to get into the Magic Castle. I've only ever been once, and I was an adolescent. Yeah. I mean, it's basically like... Wait, isn't this your nightmare? Because you had a very (laughs) formative tragic experience where Penn and or Teller yeah I was victimized by Penn and Teller do you want to tell the story oh I don't know because it's like you were dragged on stage which is both of our fears yeah that's my worst nightmare I'm I'm waking up in cold sweats to this day just thinking about participating in Penn and Teller's magic show which ironically we can do live shows and be on stage but if we were watching a live show and pulled on stage it is our worst nightmare so I was throwing fake knives like plastic knives at which one's the little one? Oh, t- uh, Teller who was like strapped to like a giant bullseye. Yeah. And then I accidentally grabbed one of the fake knives like by the blade and Penn whispered into my ear, don't fuck this up. And I was like 14 or something. Yeah, I was going to say, you were, you yeah. were basically a child. Yeah, he's I... a dick. <laughs> anyway. I had always assumed those were planted people in the audience. No, they just pick actual people. Okay, so you went to the Magic Castle. Yeah, I I think we need to talk about the fashions of the Magic Castle because these magicians, the style is crazy because there there's a dress code and I was like, surely no one's actually dressing up here. But they're yeah. all in like three-piece suits with like pocket squares and shit and like the longest ties you've ever seen. Like, you know when a tie is just like uncomfortably long and it's like, The the tie is like flapping over the dick. Yeah, like Donald Trump's tie. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're clearly compensating for something. Yeah, but it was fun. Like, not mad at it. Saw some magic, you know, but very nerdy. So if you do not want to go to the theater to waste some time with your family, we would recommend a delightful movie that we recently rented, which we talked about when it came out, which was Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Yeah, I'm so glad I finally saw this. 
This uh, is the perfect parent film, by the way. If you are going home and yeah. you don't, you know, you can't watch White Lotus with your parents, you can't watch Dahmer with the family, this is, it's going to offend no one. Truly. It is about a British housekeeper who dreams of owning a Christian Dior dress. And I feel this bitch so hard. Like this, I am Mrs. Harris. And I, we should note that Leslie Manville, Manville plays the title role but this movie really is a love letter well leslie manville who plays the sister of daniel day lewis mr woodcock in our favorite film phantom thread yes so this is her second big fashion movie and it really is a love letter to everyone who makes poor financial decisions in the name of fashion because sometimes you have to and sometimes it really is worth it like it does like fill something in you it reminds me of like when I was in college I would spend my last dime at the opening ceremony sample sale you know I would eat like ramen for a week Oh, I worked an entire summer to buy a Rick Owens leather jacket when I was a junior <laughs> in college, and I still have that jacket. Fabulous. And it's still in style. <laughs> as soon as this movie started, I was like, oh, this movie has big book energy. And of course, to uh, not my surprise, it is based on a book. Right. And the book was actually written like in the 50s, right? Which is when this is set, I believe. It is. So I'm sure this delighted you, Chelsea, to no end, which is it incorporates Christian Dior's new look into the plot of the film. Yes. So basically, this film, the costume designer was Jenny Bevan, who we love, <gasps> famous Oscar-winning costume designer. I believe that this, this film is supposed to be set in the late 50s. It's definitely post-war because there is a plot point. She is a widow who through a confluence of events is able to raise and kind of inherits the $500 she needs to buy a Christian Dior haute couture dress. Right. But I was confused by the fashion show because I watched Joe Z do this interview with Jenny Bevan about this, which is on the Focus Features YouTube channel. Apparently they have some series where Joe Z talks about the costumes and all of the Focus Features films, which is cool. But Jenny was talking about how the fashion show, they, you know, she went in the archive and recreated pieces from his last collection, which was in 1957. Yet the show opens with the new look, which was from 1947. So I was like, wait, what's going on with this? So I was like, I need to ask Alexander Fury, friend of the pod, who wrote the book on Dior, like, what's the deal with this? And he was basically like, yeah, the show was like a mishmash of stuff. And like the new look suit, the bar suit was from the 40s, but I guess they recreated it and photographed it for the 10th anniversary, which was in 1957. I don't think they actually sold it again, but it's weird because, yeah, it was from a totally different period. Although it is the look that most screams Dior. Yeah, and now this is making me rem remember that it's an anniversary show that she... It's a real hijinks ensue film where she shows up at Dior and they're having a fashion show and a model drops her luggage and she picks it up and she's able to get access to the showroom and then she is invited by a handsome gentleman to sit next to her during the show. It's very charming. It's like her goal is to get this dress and like really no one stands in her way, you know, except for Isabelle Huppert's character. 
I know, guys. Isabelle Huppert is kind of a bitch in this movie, but you understand why in the end. Yeah, she's like, I don't know how to describe her job. She's kind of like the the head front of house person, basically. Like, she's dealing with the clients. She's dealing with the atelier, presumably with Christian Dior himself. Yeah. Um, who died a mere three months after that collection. So I don't know where the scene was of Mrs. Harris, like, reading about that in the newspaper. Which, about a year ago, we did an episode called Fashion Crimes, where our mentor, Jessica Glasscock, discusses the potentially salacious way that Christian Dior died. Right. We often talk about the stakes of things being incredibly low, but this is done in in the most comforting way possible. Yeah. Which is like, she's not going to get the dress, but she gets the dress. But the dress gets ruined, but she gets the dress. She ultimately gets the dress. Did you cry when she got the dress? I sobbed when she got the dress. Also, that dress is fake. The two dresses that... Oh, are in the show. Are the ones that were not actually Christian Dior designs. Yes, it's... they. It's very confusing. (laughs) It's like historical accuracy in a certain sense, but it's like they clearly cared about historical accuracy, like in the way they recreated this lawn and like painstakingly recreated some of these clothes, but also there's stuff like that. But also the way that she selects the dress is historically accurate because she's sitting in the salon in the haute couture show. I know, guys, it's hard to imagine a fashion show that doesn't have celebrities in the front, but fashion shows used to be for rich paying clients who would literally write down the outfits they would want to buy. Also... Alexander was like, oh, like you could literally see a fashion show there any day. You know what I mean? Like there's always like an in-house model to model like whatever they have. Like she didn't necessarily need to go at that specific time. Which speaking of the in-house model who uh, Mrs. Harris befriends Natasha, she just shows up everywhere. It's like Mrs. Harris is walking down a Parisian street and Natasha's at a film premiere with a handsome actor, which leads me to ask, is Natasha a bit of a Holly Golightly, let's say? Oh, totally. Okay. She's definitely in that role. I would also be remiss if I did not mention that the actress that plays Natasha Alba Baptista has been in the press recently because it came to light uh, in the past week that she is dating people's sexiest man alive, Chris Evans. And so what's he in? He's Captain America in all the Marvel films. Okay, but besides that, like something I've seen. Uh, He was in Knives Out. Okay, I saw that. He's the son of Jamie Lee Curtis, the one that sets everything up. Sorry, spoiler alert for that. But the funniest thing about this is he has legit stands. Like, not just like funny, like, haha, fans are stands. Like the fucking Devin Sawa in the Eminem video stands who had been (laughs) melting the fuck down and like writing letters to him about how they feel deceived by him that he's in a relationship now. What freaks? Also, we've been discussing this all week, but we've been trying to coin a term for this kind of movie. And I think we found it. By this kind of movie, we mean the fetishization of Parisian culture. Yes. So we've decided to coin this we exploitation, or should it be we we exploitation? Oh, we we exploitation. We exploitation. And, you know, Emily in Paris falls into this genre. The, uh, Perhaps the forgotten Meg Ryan film, French Kiss from the 90s. Fuck, I love that film. I will say the patron saint of the genre 
is Amelie. Yeah. We're talking about movies that the Amelie soundtrack just starts playing in your head. Totally. Well, also, I think the key things about a exploitation movie is that there has to be some chick that's like scared of escargot and then she tries it. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, this is amazing. And then there's a guy that says in a really thick French accent, like Paris is the most romantic city in the world or Paris is where you go to fall in love or some approximation of that. That's interesting because I have on my list uh, Before Sunset as a exploitation film because in my mind, it's films that make Americans want to go to Paris and think that they're going to fall in love. Yeah. For those that love Before Sunset, Julie Delpy wrote and directed a film, I believe it was her directorial debut, called Two Days in Paris. Which oh, that's is, exploitation. If Before Sunset is a romantic idea of Paris, this is like, I live in Paris, this is what it's really like. And it's her... And her real-life ex-boyfriend, Adam Goldberg, who plays her boyfriend in this film. And it is a film that has a plot point based on a real naked photo Julie Dempy took of Adam Goldberg when they were dating in the late 90s, early 2000s that she uses as a prop in the film. See, I completely forget the whole plot. I just remember that she wore a lot of vintage Leonard dresses, which was cool. Before Sunset, that's more like highbrow exploitation, but I think true exploitation or lowbrow exploitation, it always has the cheesiest music cues. Right. Like literally like stock music, you know, that you just like think France or whatever. You're right. I think French Kiss with Kevin Klein, who is doing a very stereotypical French accent in the film, is exploitation. Yeah. Also, you have to have like a mime, obviously the Eiffel Tower and like a French person that's like really rude for no reason. I also think an important part of exploitation are French films that Hollywood imported actors from. So I feel like Luc Besson needs to be in the conversation <laughs> for like bequeathing Jean Renault and Jackie Cario into America cinemas in the 1990s. Yeah. Look, it's a list that is in progress. <laughs> We're defining this. Don't write the Wikipedia entry just yet. <laughs> Don't do it, but this is really a, a standout of the genre, I have to say. And also, we should mention, not only does Mrs. Harris, like, get her fashion glow up, she also single-handedly saves the House of Dior from ruin. Well, don't don't spoil it for everyone, okay, but yeah, right. she should've. does... <laughs> She does introduce the concept of ready-to-wear <laughs> to the House of Dior. Well, that was also something I asked Alexander Fury about. He was like, oh, yeah, they were doing, like, fragrances and licensing, like, from, like, the first year they were open. So that definitely didn't happen. Come on, give it to them. Yeah. You got to round out some of the edges to make <laughs> a, a pleasant film for the entire family. It's true. All right, so it seemed like we needed to watch that Lindsay Lohan Christmas film, which... By the way, I literally, oh, it's Falling for Christmas. I didn't even remember the name of it. <laughs> so that should tell you how we felt about this film. Well, I have a confession to make. I did not watch more than 15 minutes of this movie. You fucking bitch. I'm I sorry. I'm sorry. Tad and I sat down to watch it and one thing led to another and we just did not watch Falling for Christmas. Did you guys have sex? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I did not watch Falling for Christmas. I feel like one thing led to another is your version of yada yada yada. You, you it, it is. It is. I don't mind grossing you out, but I don't want to traumatize the listeners. 
You one thing led to another over the best part. I <laughs> I mentioned the Lindsay Lohan film. I have one note in my phone about this movie, and it just says Valenyagi, <laughs> which is their fake designer brand that's like some combination of Valentino and Balenciaga. So the plot of the film is, in the days leading up to Christmas, a young and newly engaged heiress experiences a skiing accident. Is it an accident? Okay. After being diagnosed with amnesia, she finds herself in the care of a handsome lodge owner and his daughter. Suffice to say, this movie is not good, but I'm also not sure it's supposed to be good. This is Netflix's attempt at a Hallmark holiday film. So I feel like the quality is equal to those kinds of movies. We don't watch them. Yeah, like I think of myself as someone with relatively low standards for holiday rom-coms, but like... I'm not on that Hallmark Channel level. Like, people that are into Hallmark Channel Christmas shit, like, that's like a full kink. You know what I mean? Like, that's like a whole ass thing. Like, like I'd rather be into, like, autoerotic asphyxiation. Yeah, that's kind of... It's some kind of emotional self-flagellation. Yeah, like, imagine, like, compulsively watching... Candace Cameron Bure holiday films. Well, I think she's been kicked out of the Hallmark Channel because of her anti-gay beliefs. So she's starting, this is what I'm gleaning from headlines, she's starting her own network. Okay. Anyway, going back to Falling for Christmas, this movie is essentially the Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell film Overboard, but in snow. And they somehow <laughs> yeah. fuck that up. So how far did you get? Did she have amnesia by the time you stopped no, watching? No, I, I didn't get to amnesia. Oh my God. Okay. So I saw, okay. I saw her sing along to Jingle Bell Rock. Uh, did you see Melrose Place actor Jack Wagner explain to Chord Cord Overstreet that he modeled his hotel after SpaceX? No, I didn't get to that. I just, uh, I don't know. You don't think I should finish this movie, do you? No, I'm more mad at you that I, I pushed through <laughs> this sorry. because I thought we were going to talk about it on the podcast. I'm sorry. Well, we're talking about it now. It makes no sense because he runs into her. So he's trying to glee actor Cord Overstreet wants Jack Wagner, who is Lindsay Lohan's father, to invest in his hotel so he doesn't have to sell it to him, which is not a great plan. <sighs> Well, the thing is about the Hallmark Christmas movies is that something is always going out of business. A little mom and pop bed and breakfast, a, a Christmas ornament factory, you know? Yes. Cord Overstreet is still running this B&B because his wife and him started it, but his wife passed away and it's the last thing he sort of has of her. And he runs into Lindsay Lohan. He bumps up because Jack Wagner gives him some hot chocolate and he bumps into Lindsay Lohan and he gets, I mean, this is straight out of Clueless where Breckenmeyer spills the beer on um, Alicia Silverstone's shoes. He gets whipped cream on her. What's the fake Balenciaga label? Uh, Valenciaga? Valenyagi. Valenyagi. Yet, when he, he's the one who finds her. So her... I'm sorry, her gay fiance. I thought that was going to be the twist at the end is he's like, and now I'm gay. But he's just like not. No, he's just an influencer. <laughs> he proposes on a mountain range and she's like, I can't ski, which like same girl. Yeah. And, oh, and they fell down the mountain. I think I did see that. Yeah, but he falls in one direction. She falls in the other direction. And he's trying to grab onto her via the gigantic but oversized 
engagement ring and it slips off of her. She falls. She like does a full fucking Natasha Richardson Sonny Bono. Like her neck should be broken. That's such a dark thing to say. The bed and breakfast owner finds her does not recognize her from just meeting her 45 minutes ago, which you would definitely know that that is her. And I was like, oh, at some point, it's going to be that he falls for her and then he remembers that she was that bitch to him in the hotel lobby for five seconds. But he doesn't. He doesn't until her fiancé and Jack Wagner find her finally. This sounds really boring. Oh, God, it's incredibly boring. And how you know that she's down to earth is she doesn't learn how to make a bed. There's like a whole funny montage where she tries to make the beds in the bed and breakfast. But how you know that she's down to earth and different is when she's the spoiled heiress, she doesn't want bacon. And now she loves bacon, (laughs) which really it should be the reverse. But okay, he's very prideful. And he and Lindsay Lohan is like, let's do this like fundraiser on christmas eve and like people will just give you money and we'll save the bread and i keep saying bread bed and breakfast and he's like (laughs) i don't want to do that she's like okay we're gonna do a non-fundraiser christmas eve party so they invite people to a christmas eve party but they're gonna try to get money out of them and i was like this is like if i wanted friends to give me money so my dog could have surgery so i had them over for a game night yeah that's weird but don't you worry, everyone Everyone read the invisible ellipses to this and just start handing him over checks. Okay, well, I'm definitely not seeing that. Although, should we discuss Lindsay Lohan in general? So I thought the whole thing was that she couldn't be in movies because no one can insure her. But this clearly has a budget of, you know, nothing. So what's that about? Um, I guess now I should mention that I don't like Lindsay Lohan I've never gotten the whole thing about her, not even in the heyday. And I'm sorry, I feel like she has the career she deserves. Wow. Love this hot take. I think that she is really fabulous in the parent trap. Remake. Okay, but that is what every single fucking person says. No but one's it's like, true. Of course, but she was And she's great. She's great in Mean Girls, and she gave us those two very important films. Absolutely. Look, I have a lot of sympathy because obviously. She does not have the greatest foundation if you've, like, looked into her parents at all. But she did fuck up her career from the inside out. Oh, yeah. I mean, did you watch that Oprah docuseries about Lindsay Lohan? Yeah, I've watched parts of it. But I would say the most iconic thing about Lindsay Lohan, and I have to give her this, and maybe it was just tabloid lore, but she racked up, like, a half a million dollar Chateau Marmont bill just because she kept an extra room for her clothing. Well, that's like the one thing we all know about her, right? That's great. That's like the most important thing to know about her. That and the fact that she, when she was in rehab, she wrote a list of like every guy that she's fucked. And then like someone took a picture of it. And then which one of the guys was like, I never had sex with her. Like that's whack. Like James Franco? I think so. He, They definitely fucked. Look, I'm sure it's very hard for her to watch Emma Stone have the career she was supposed to have. Yeah, Franco. Yeah, he says they did not have sex. Okay, well, I'd say having, not knowing either of them, they definitely fucked. Oh, he says Lindsay Lohan stalked him on Howard Stern. I believe. He kissed her. 
I believe this is a Howard Stern appearance from 2017 when he was promoting of Mice and Men, which is around the same time that he DM'd a 17-year-old. Oh, yeah. I'm not a James Franco apologist. Like, I'm not crazy. But anyway. So this is her first leading role in a decade. Her last lead role was in Paul Schrader's The Canyons, co-starring porn star James Dean, who has since been Me Too'd out of existence. But he still does porn, right? Yeah, you know. He's probably on OnlyFans, like, making, like, a shitload of money. Of course. She needs to either be blessed with a Darren Aronofsky comeback role or be blessed with being let into the Ryan Murphy universe in some way. I don't, I can't imagine, like, what else she would be in. Oh, you don't see her having a future with Hallmark films? I mean, it's worked well with Vanessa Hudgens. She's done that she princess could do that. switch. I could also see her in like a shitty version of Dead to Me, like a show like that. That's exciting. I feel like would be good. I mean, seeing that we got a Hocus Pocus too, I know that was the thing that people kept asking around the red carpet because Jamie Lee Curtis is... Oh, Freaky Friday is also amazing. So she's given us three movies. Yeah, but I see no one talking about Georgia Rule. (laughs) Well, no. Without reason that Disney Plus might do a a Freaky Friday 2 with the two of them and put it on the app. Oh, that's great. And I'd do another Herbie Fully Loaded. Oh, come on. That's insane. Do you remember Justin Long was in that? I don't remember that. I never saw that movie. I don't even like the original Herbie, like from the fucking whenever that was. 70s? I don't know. Yeah. So that's going to be a no from us, dog. But again, if you are sitting there with your family right now, it is a great movie to put on. No one is going to make a stink about it. And you can just scroll on your phone. Right. And we need movies like that. We do. Shall we get into Kardashian news? Let's do it. Kardashian-aholics anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. <laughs> so we finally got to the Met Gala. Praise be. I think we got to stop doing the segment, Jill. Why? I don't know if I could do another season of this show because did you see that next week is the season finale? We're not getting Travis and Courtney's wedding. No. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. They completely skip over it. And I was like, oh, maybe they're not saving it for the third season. But it seems like Courtney and Travis were like, or maybe Dolce and Gabbana was like, you can't air. Like, we'll pay for everything, but you can't air it on the show. Dolce and Gabbana definitely doesn't care about that. You would think the next episode is like, and now we're all going to Italy for Travis and Courtney's wedding. No, the preview for the next episode is Kim's like, I'm going to walk in the Balenciaga show and we meet. Oh, but can't wait for that app. Sure. And then we meet Chloe's child and that's it. Look, I still love this show. We have to accept that this is happening at the pace that it's happening. I don't accept it. (laughs) Well, maybe if you accept it, you can enjoy what you have. You know what I have is nothing. I have <laughs> the Met Gala experience teased out over three episodes. And, and we haven't the- even gotten to the backlash yet. That's going to be, it's not even over, really. They're not going to cover it. I'm telling you. Yes, they're going to cover it. From what I saw in the preview, it's just this like pleasant wrapping up the season. Look, I understand why they're not covering Astro World. Like, that's super dark, obviously. I mean, they should cover it. But, like, they are covering scandals that aren't that scandalous. Like the get your fucking ass up and work. Which I'm going to say, her explanation 
made me not like her. But go on. I'm just saying like that the Marilyn dress thing, that's no Astro World. That's not like Rob doing revenge porn. Right. But speaking of which, the Black China trial is completely in the background. And we know what the verdict is, which is they won. We already knew that going into the series, but there's really no no behind the scenes stuff because they won't show that. And that's the difference from like the early seasons of Keeping Up to now. Totally. We should have gotten the like, well, we're going to court today. Yeah, we're never going to. Courtney just being like, we're going to court. Court's going to court. Although she's the only one. She's the only Oh, she sister. wasn't named. Yeah. Right, right. It was Kendall everyone else. Kendall and Courtney were the only two that weren't named in this. Yeah, we're never going to get a moment like, Kim, could you stop taking photos? Your sister's going to jail. Like, those days are gone. Yeah, but it was nice to see them all authentically react to the verdict on this show. Yes. Also, okay, I want to talk about the fact that we all know that Kim wore the Maryland dress. We did not know that her hotel room was just full of Maryland memorabilia. It's like, are you having a fucking seance? Like, I hope she did. I love that this is Kim's interpretation of what Christian Bale must do in a role where she's like, I'm going to lose a ton of weight. I'm going to submerge myself in Marilyn paraphernalia and I'll just her Marilynness will will just be all up inside me. Yeah, seems a little extreme. I also really liked um, Kendall peeing in the champagne bucket. Yeah. Because she was wearing like a giant Prada ball gown. And that's the kind of thing that, of course, happens all the time. But like you never see that, which is fun. Well, she also had an anxiety induced need to pee, which I very much related to. Really? I don't have that. That's one symptom I don't have. Intriguing. We should say that our friend Yo is... Looks incredible in this episode. I changed my contact photo to that one when they're shooting her like, you know, in the dress in her hotel room. Yes, Yo was part of the photo shoot of shooting Kim and then Chloe. Yo is the person when they're yelling at Chloe that they need to go. Yo is in leather pants. She looks so good like in every scene of this episode. It's it's really iconic. (sighs) Go off, bitch. Also, we learned that Jeff Latham has owns Marilyn Monroe's Golden Globe. So he's a Julian's auctions freak. Yeah, but that completely makes sense. It's just kind of random. Like, are you really that big of a fan? Evidently. I just feel like gay dudes usually care more about like Elizabeth Taylor, you know? I don't know. You would imagine that Kim would start buying Marilyn paraphernalia, but she just... I guess if you can get other people to just give it to you for free. Yeah. Or for the publicity. I would say that the most interesting part of the episode, because so much of what is now featured in the show, we basically know through Daily Mail people, their Instagrams, what have you, is the whole debacle with the dressing room that was on the red carpet, which was the most fascinating part because she did talk about that after the Met Gala happened. And I was like, where would there be a dressing room? I don't even understand this, but they overshot it. And instead of having to go back... They overshot it like in the car driving. Oh, yeah. Sorry. They overshot it in the car. Those were the parts of the episode I found most fascinating. Like when Kylie and Chloe are in their sprinter van and they're backed all the way up in Central Park because it's everyone going to the Met Gala. That's the those are the production details I find fascinating. Yeah. But here's the part I don't understand. I was on Kim's side with the dress because it's like, look, Ripley's loaned it to her. They had some agency and they chose to lend her the dress, but she's like, I can't wear it 
sitting in the car because it's too fragile. So I have to change into it. I'm going to change. So she's in that Skims robe that you gave me. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's going to change out of it when she gets to the top of the stairs. I would imagine walking up the Met Gala stairs is more traumatic to that dress than anything else. Yeah, but sitting in a car, just sitting in anything fragile. It's interesting who got a sprinter and who got uh, a van. Like, she's just in a but regular yeah, why SUV. wasn't she just in a standing... Yeah, why? That's so weird. There you go. I don't you, know. They could get her dressed in the van. My jaw hit the floor when they when they did the preview for next week's episode. And they were like, on the season finale of the Kardashians. I was like, are you fucking... See, I didn't see that somehow. I usually always watch scenes from the next... Are you kidding? The season is already over. What was that? Eight episodes? Yeah, it had to be. It could have been more than that. Definitely not an even 10. There are no more scandals to cover up. So the the next season better be coming at a faster fucking clip than these first two. Yeah. I mean, these are all empty threats because I am going to watch it. But I'm just saying, like, I am starting to see what others are complaining about with the show. And I'm still an apologist, so... There you have it. Anyway, we'll report back from the the skin pop-up at the Century City Mall next week. And yeah. That's it. We did it, baby. We did it. Thank you guys for listening. Love you guys. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.